We're reading from Matthew 1.1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Amen. Thank you. Wasn't that great? She did awesome, Carissa. Thank you. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, it's so good uh, to be together, so good to be before your word, so good to celebrate Christmas and uh, all that it means for you to have come to earth and to, lived here, to have lived here, uh, to take on flesh as a child, and not just a royal child in a palace, but uh, born of very meager, in a very meager place, in a stable. God, we are uh, just so grateful for the chance to, to know you and that you know this earth. God, you, you didn't have to uh, come and be here to, to know what it's like. You're God. You knew it all. And yet, out of incredible humility and love for us, you came. You came to be with us. You came to experience this uh, firsthand so that we can better know you. God, what a blessing. What a blessing. God, thank you for the chance uh, to celebrate that this season. And thank you for the chance uh, to look to your word and to explore uh, just a, a, a tiny fraction of what the glorious truth of your incarnation means for us. Lord, bless us even now. Bless our children. Bless our teachers as they teach uh, our kids. Bless this time as we're before you. And God, may we leave today. Uh, I pray even now uh, over, over us as, as we prepare to leave in a little while. May we leave today with hearts of, of joy, of gratitude, of celebration, not necessarily because life is easy, but because you have come to be with us, and that is more than enough reason to celebrate. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Does, uh, does anybody else have somebody in your family who's done a lot of the like ancestry research? Do y'all have some answer? Somebody, usually somebody in the family has gone and done all the homework for the rest of the family, and more often than not, as they're going through that process, they find some interesting stories, don't they? Interesting stories is more than just a list of names. You usually get a story. So my dad's side, I did have to just double check my numbers here on a, on a couple details, but I think I got this right. On my dad's side, the story they always tell is that when his sister did some ancestry research, they found out some fun information about his, so my great-grandparents, so his mom's parents. Uh, their names were Zora and Rufus. And yes, that's who my dog is named after, is my great-grandfather, Rufus. And, um, and Zora, when Zora met Rufus, not my dog, the, the great-grandparents, when Zora and Rufus met, Zora, they were swapping, you know, details, and Zora, you know, found out Rufus's age and birthday and all that, and, uh, and told a, a little white lie and said, yeah, she's just a few, you know, gave her birthday the, the day that she, she said, yeah, I'm just a few months younger than you. And uh, that went on, you know, for, for the rest of their life. That's what, you know, she said how old she was. And uh, had said that her birth certificate got lost in a fire, you know, a long, long time ago. And this was, this was a long time ago. No, you know, nobody's going to Google that, you know, just. So after she died and generations later when my dad's sister was doing some homework, they figured out that the birth certificate was, in fact, available and found. And that Zora had lied about her age by five years she was, in fact, five years older than her husband, which means that my grandmother, her youngest child, was born to Zora when Zora was 43, not 38, like she had said. Quite an incredible thing that she went to her grave holding that, that little white lie uh, about, about her age. 
Uh, Amber's family, the story they tell from the uncle who did all the ancestry research is that they somehow tra traced down uh, a, a Native American uh, connection. And so my kids can claim, at least according to you know, Uncle David, that did the, or Uncle Gary, David, David that did the homework, uh, is that my kids can claim their great times 12 grandfather was Chief Powhatan, which is Pocahontas's dad, but through a different child. We're, you know. fun, fun facts to know. I just so happened to be talking to Robert before the service about his questionable decisions of who the, the uh, college team he cheers for, the University of Alabama. And um, he defended that uh, decision by saying that his uh, great times eight grandmother was a part of the, the uh, Choctaw Indians who, formed, who founded the city of Tuscaloosa. So he's saying it's in his blood that he has this poor decision of cheering for the University of Alabama. I, I give him a hard time because my family are all Auburn people. They just keep beating us, and we're, we're, we have, we're sad about it. Uh, ancestry can be fun. It can be interesting. You can learn a lot about who you are, your family, your heritage, those kind of things. And, and one of the reasons we, we like learning is that it, it, there's, something, there's something about knowing where you come from that kind of helps you know who you are. It helps understand, help you understand your identity. Now, in our kind of Western American culture, we... Um, the Western civilization kind of modern thing, we don't, we don't base our identity in our ancestry as much as other generations and cultures have uh, throughout history. We are much more likely to put our identity in, in our job, our success, our career, some kind of status symbol. We, we look to those things to define us. We don't want to be defined or limited by our family in a certain sense. Other cultures, who you come from, where, you, where, where your roots are, like, you know, we've been you know, farmers or whatever, for 20 generations. You know, we, there used to be a time where that was the key part of your identity and still is in, in many parts of the world. And the first century Jewish world was much more like that. That your identity, the, 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 the kind of the core thing of who you are is who you came from, who your family is. So when we turn to the very first page of the New Testament, it may be surprising to us, but it was not at all surprising to the first readers of this book that it begins with an ancestry. It begins with a genealogy. We are going to take uh, the next few weeks to look through this section of the Bible, the section of the Christmas story, that at first glance may seem like the most boring part of the whole story. You're like, we got angels to talk about and shepherds to talk about and magi and gifts and where do those guys even come from. Why would you just stick to a list of names? Well, for one, Christmas comes every year, so you've got to kind of rotate through the things you study. But also, this, this passage, these names are more than just a, a quick skim over. Although I confess, I've done that plenty of times throughout genealogies in the Bible, right? But this, these names are stories. This is telling us something about who Jesus is, about his identity, about his character. And what I want to invite you to this Christmas season is to consider that this can be, if it isn't already, your family tree too. This can be your ancestry. The verse that we're focusing on, our, our memory verse, comes out of John 1.12 for this Christmas. And it says that if we believe in Jesus, we too can be a child of God. Which means you're, you're a part of the family of God. If you believe in Jesus, you are a part of the family of God. And so this ancestry, this family tree, can become yours. For Jesus, uh, this story tells, I mean, these lists of names tell us stories about who he is 
and, and what he's done and what he's accomplished for us. Now, we may not be a, an ancestry-focused culture, but we do, at the holidays, talk more about home, and there's movies about being home, and there's songs about coming home for the holidays. And we have this sense of whether or not it's a, it's a biological family or a hometown, we, we want to be with people that we love at the holidays. We want to be connected to somebody. There's a sense of this longing for connection in the month of December. And that, I think, is a good longing, a healthy longing. But for some of us, for some of you, that may be a, a place of brokenness, that you're not as connected as you used to be, as, as there's people around you that you wish you were closer to that you're not, or, or just a physical distance, or perhaps even a grief, a season where you remember somebody you used to be connected to, but they have now passed away. This story, this, these lists of names, for us are an extra comfort in the middle of that, whether or not you've got a great uh, holiday season planned with all kinds of family gatherings, or whether you're looking ahead with a little bit of dread. Either way, this can be your family. This is our family as Christians, and it's the greatest family imaginable because it's the family where we understand, we realize we are a part of the family that it includes the Savior of the world. That's why we're focusing on Christ. Jesus and his family tree this Christmas. This morning, I want to take just the very first verse of this genealogy or ancestry, if you will, Matthew 1.1. And I'll, I'll admit that after preaching anywhere from one to ten chapters this fall in the Old Testament, preaching just one verse is a very welcome change of pace for me. It's eight words in the original language, and all eight of them are important. And very good for us today. It says this. I'll read the whole passage to you again. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. These, if you are, if you are holding a Bible in front of you, you'll notice it's the very first page of the New Testament. This is where it begins. The whole New Testament begins with those first words. And they serve as a transition from the old to the new. This is how the New Testament begins. And for us, it serves as a very helpful and, and, and logical transition. I hope you'll oblige me in this. We spent for so long this fall talking about First and Second Samuel, for talking about King David. And so the transition here is from David to David's son, son of David. It tells us about who Jesus is. The first thing we, he, Matthew, the gospel writer, describes him as a son of David. And if you've been around the Bible for a, for a while, that probably doesn't strike you as odd. But to help you hear how, how odd that, that actually is for him to say, it'd be a little bit like me looking at one of you and saying, oh, yes, so-and-so, the son of William the Conqueror, who was born in 1027 A.D. Why, how could you call somebody a son when they're separated by a thousand years? David was a thousand years before Christ, and yet Matthew calls him a son. The word here is, can be literally just a son, like one generation to the next, or that word frequently in the Bible is used as, a, as referring to a descendant somewhere down the line. So to be a son of David was not that he was biologically the next generation, but that he's a part of this family, this connection, all the way back a thousand years before. And that connection is vital for understanding who Christ is. It's important because of a promise that God made to King David while David was on the throne. 2 Samuel 7, David expresses his desire to build a temple or a house for God. 
And God says, no, you don't have to do that. Then another one of your descendants will do that. But instead, I'm going to build a household, a lineage, an ancestry, a descendant line from you. And one of the first things God tells King David about these descendants is that for a son of David, who's God, who God is going to raise up, that God would establish his kingdom. So just as David was king, he was going to talk about a son after him who would be king. Solomon was king. Yes, that was the next son. But also, way down the line to Jesus, he too would be a king. His kingdom would be established. That God would bring up this descendant of David, Christ Jesus, and establish his kingdom here on earth. Kings were chosen by God or anointed, as we saw, where Samuel comes to David while he's out in the shepherd, as a shepherd and he brings him in. He anoints him as the next king over Israel. The word for anointed in Hebrew is Mashiach, where we get the word Messiah. And the word for Messiah, the word, uh, that's the, the Hebrew uh, word, the word in Greek, in the New Testament language, is Christ. And so when we call Jesus the Christ, we're calling him the Messiah the anointed one, or the king. This is king. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, king, son of David, these are making a very similar point. He is Christ. He's king. He is the descendant of the greatest king of Israel. This is the king who has come. Jesus is the anointed one. And God said something about one particular child, one particular descendant of David, that applies here now to Jesus. 2 Samuel 7, 13, God told David that God would establish the throne of this descendant and his kingdom forever, forever. One day, David would have a son who would sit on the throne of King David, just like David did. But instead of reigning for only 40 years like King David did, this king would reign forever and ever. So as we think about Christmas, we think about what Christ has done and all he means. I want you to know this about the family tree that you are invited to be a part of. It is a family tree that will last forever. It goes on and on and on and will never, ever stop. Because Christ is on his throne and he will never be dethroned and his kingdom lasts forever. So I want you to know this morning that Christ Jesus, Jesus is the king for all times. Jesus is the king for all times, eternally, without end. He sits on his throne today and he always will. There is nothing and no one that will stop him from being on his throne. Forever and always, he is king. We, for many of us, many of you, I pray, we have so much to be blessed. So, so many ways we have been blessed by earthly families. God has given us this structure uh, that is just so supportive and, and God's intention and design for the family. It's just so beautiful and helpful in so many ways. The tremendous blessings to us, so, so many of us. There's also something very interesting about our earthly families. They change. They change, don't they? And that can be a very good thing. We grow up. We stop sucking our thumbs. That's good. We, we have children. That's a blessing. We have grandchildren. I hear that's even a bigger blessing. Amen. We have all kinds of good things that happen to us, positive things as we change, right? But there's also some not-so-good changes, we lose loved ones. People pass away. Hardships come. Relationships get sour or whatever else may go on. And so change can be good or it can be bad. We are thankful that in the family of God, there is something that does not change. God. 
God is permanent. God is infinite. God is eternal. God is unchanging. And so when you come to, to a Christmas, maybe one Christmas upon the other, it's kind of a, a mark in the calendar Well, you remember back of what all has changed since last Christmas or five Christmases ago or, or 20 Christmases ago. It's this mark in the year where we see how much changes. One thing doesn't. God. He is one you can count on. He is rock solid. He is forever and eternal. He is always there. To be a part of God's family is to trust in the king of all times that has always and forever been king. And He is the one we celebrate at Christmas. Have you ever thought about why we celebrate Christmas every year? Like there are some things we celebrate annually, and there's some things that just get a one-time celebration. For example, your high school graduation, you celebrate that one time, right? You may have a reunion where you get together with people, but like when you graduated high school, we all clapped for you, you know, people cheered for you, you wore the robes, you know, and we celebrated, man, it's so good that I by, you know, by the skin of my teeth, I got the math grade I needed, and I got to walk across the stage, right? We don't annually in May every year dress you up again and celebrate that geometry grade and when you're 45, you know? We just celebrated it once, and that was enough. You didn't need to be celebrated again. Christmas isn't like that. We celebrate this every year because Jesus is still on His throne. We come back, and we worship Christ, and we worship what God has done in the Incarnation every single year because this is a forever promise. This is an eternal promise that Christ is who He says He is and He always will be and He can be worshipped forever. Jesus is King and He's the King for all times. One of the hardest parts of the holidays can be grief we experience. And so to find Christ, to find someone we can trust in, to find one we can rely on is such a great comfort. His consistency, His being constant is so vital. As the eternal king, it's good news to know that He is in control. He is in control. For whatever reason, we as a culture have, have made December one of the most chaotic months of the year, have we not? We, we talk, I've noticed that May can be pretty chaotic with everything that changes in May and whatever. And December can be the most chaotic time of the year. My, my family, in our great wisdom, also picked the month of December to move yesterday. And many of you made that possible, and I'm so, so appreciative. But I added chaos to your life by you coming to help me move. Life can be so chaotic this, this month, is it not? Just something about the, the extra parties, end of the year stuff, whatever else with your work that end of the year brings, it just can be a chaotic time. Christmas is the time we recognize Christ is king. Christ sits on his throne and he is in charge of all that chaos. He is in charge. He rules over all. This week, for whatever reason, I thought about uh, the times I did, I did like the driver's ed school thing, right? Where you're driving with an instructor in the, in the passenger side. And I remember when I drove with this lady who was really funny for a lot of reasons. But anyway, we were driving. And I was coming up to a red light and I'm slowing down in front of this car. And all of a sudden the car goes and screeches to a halt. And you remember why that is? Because she's got a break on that side, right? And she didn't think I was going to stop. I'm sure I was going to be fine, but I, I'm confident. I'm grateful that that break was there as I was learning to drive. Sometimes it's really good to know somebody else has control. Somebody else is in control. She probably needed the steering wheel on her side too, right? But we, we need somebody else to be in control of the chaos. Christ is king, and he's king forever. He is in control. We can trust him. We can worship him this Christmas. It's good to know that there's one on the throne 
who, raise, who is in control forever. He doesn't rise or fall with election cycles. He doesn't rise or fall with kings and nations. He doesn't rise and fall with football playoffs or World Cup eliminations or seasons or anything else that changes. Jesus is king for all times forever. He's the son of David. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah, the Christ. And that's a big blessing. That's a big blessing. But there may be a chance you don't feel that this Christmas. For whatever reason, you may be nodding along. You may say, yes, all these things are good. But it, I, and I acknowledge it's true, but it doesn't like move you. You, you don't feel moved by, by, by Christ being on his throne forever. It should, and we, we would give mental assent to that. But it doesn't, it doesn't move us for one reason or another at times. You may be, you may be ready this Christmas season to celebrate Christ, but there may be, for whatever reason, that you don't feel moved by that. Maybe I equate it to some people, uh, how some people feel about, about Christmas. I don't know many full-on Scrooges. I mean, there are a few out there in the world, but some people just don't really get into it, right? Some people are like all about it, but some people kind of feel apathetic, kind of meh about Christmas. That's, you know, as a holiday, you know, secularly, I'm, I'm not passionate one way or the other, whether you are energetic about Christmas or not. But I relate it to somehow, sometimes people feel that way about their faith. Some people are on fire for their faith, and some people kind of feel, eh, meh, about faith. Maybe there's times you have been excited about the Lord. Excited, it meant a lot to you that Christ was on the throne. At one point in your life, maybe you were celebrating this eternal God and how important it is that He is reigning. Maybe today or some other season you feel like it just it feels disconnected from you. Sometimes that happens in a season of living in sin. If we are walking away from the Lord, then we don't feel close to Him. Or sometimes we can't point to a specific thing in our life or somebody else's life. We just kind of feel dry or disconnected. So when you read that Jesus is the son of David and you read He's royalty, maybe that doesn't connect with you. As we'll go in a couple weeks, you get through it. He's not just one king that's in, David, I mean, in Jesus' line. All the kings are in Jesus. So he is, he is royal of royals, king of kings. And so maybe that feels further disconnected from you, not, not close to you. So maybe that can be hard to relate to. Well, maybe the next thing Matthew says about Jesus will help you. Because he says Jesus is the son of David and the son of Abraham. And you say, well, how's that going to help me? It's just another Old Testament famous old guy. How's that going to help me? I'll tell you why. Because of promises, just like the promises God made to David that then were fulfilled in Christ. So also with Abraham, there were promises God made to Abraham that were fulfilled in Christ that have huge implications for you and for me. God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that, he would, that in Abraham all the families of the earth would be blessed. All of them. Then again, he repeats that promise at least a few, a few more times. Genesis 22, 18 Right after the episode with Isaac, God reminds Abraham that in his offspring, he shall bless uh, all. In his offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That same phrase is used: all the nations. Similar to similar to Abraham, and a partial. I mean, similar to David in a partial way. Abraham, that promise was fulfilled by the biological next child, Isaac, and the next one after that. But in an ultimate way, they are pointing forward to one offspring. And Galatians 3.16 makes it, clarifies where, what that is. I'm not, we're not making this up. We read that the promises made to Abraham and to his, it says, to his offspring. It does not say to his offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. So here in Christ, son of David, he's also promised that this is the one son of Abraham that fulfills all those promises. 
And here's why that matters. Because we aren't Jewish, many of us. We aren't in Israel. It's not the first century. If Christ was king of the Jews for one time in one place, that would be irrelevant to us. But he is the king. Jesus is the king for all times and all peoples. All times and all peoples. So that means no matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done or what you've been through or what's been done to you, Christ can still be your king. He can be the king whether things are good in your life or things are bad. He can be the king in your life whether you've had an amazing 2022 or your 2022 matched 2020 or 2021 and it just felt awful. Whatever's going on, Christ can still be the king of your life because he is the king for all peoples. In the first century when Jesus came and lived, one of the most revolutionary things about the message he proclaimed was that he was the king of the Gentiles too. They crucified him with a sign over, over the, the cross that said king of the Jews, but it was wrong in the sense that he was king. Yes, he was king of the Jews, but he was king of everybody. He's king of everybody. One of the really cool things to notice about Matthew's gospel is that in Matthew 1.1, Jesus is promised, he, he is said to be the, the son of Abraham, the one who through whom God said he would bless all the nations. You know how the end of Matthew, how Matthew's gospel ends? It ends with a great commission where Jesus sends out his disciples to guess what? Go and make disciples of all nations. And the exact same, I just said in my notes, I'm just getting nerdy on you here. The exact same word in the Greek in the Great Commission is used in Genesis 22:18, Pontitai ethne, all the nations. Jesus was here for everybody. For everybody. All kinds of families, no matter your race, no matter your language, no matter what you look like, or where you've been, what you've been through, Jesus can be your king. And that can include you. And it should. It should include you. He is not just the king for one group of people, one ethnicity, or one language. He's not just the king for the religious elites or those that wear button-up shirts and tuck them in. He's not just the, the king for professionals. He is the king for all kinds of people. He is the king for all those who love Christmas and those who feel meh about it. He is king for all. The good news of Christmas is that it is good news for all people. The angel told the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The beauty and the mystery and the majesty of Christmas is that in the incarnation, God took on flesh. He took on, on human form. He became a man like us so that he could be with us. Jesus is God. He is eternal. He has always existed. The second person of the Trinity, there's never been a time where Christ was not. He has always been. He is eternal. And yet in his incredible humility and love, he came here to be with us. We could talk about God as being transcendent, meaning he is, he is above all. He is overall. He, he knows everything. He is, he is above and big and out there, and that's important. But the beauty of Christmas is that he's also imminent. He is also with us. We can celebrate Christ as king because over, over all peoples because Christ knows sleepless nights. Jesus knew what it looked like to lose a loved one. Jesus knows what a hungry stomach feels like and to have tired legs. Jesus knew deep, joyous friendships, and he knew deep, painful 
betrayal. Jesus knew wedding celebrations and he knew funerals. He knew all kinds of human experiences. He came to be with us so that he could show you personally that he can be king for all peoples. He came to be with us so that he could save us. We are described what Christ means. He's the king. But let's not just skip over Jesus' name because it's so common. Jesus, I told you all eight words are important. Jesus is just the, the Greek way of saying Yeshua or Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. He came as the king to save all peoples. He is our Lord. Two other words I haven't mentioned yet of those eight words are book and genealogy. Book and genealogy. If you ever tried to read through the book of Genesis, you know that genealogies are a frequent part of that book. And so over and over again, the genealogy says the genealogy of Adam, genealogy of Noah, and so forth and so on. But uh, so a large portion of 1st and 2nd Chronicles is the same way. So when Matthew starts the, the book of, of his gospel with this genealogy, he's making a connection back to the Old Testament. He's saying this story of redemption that God has been writing about his people and his family, it's continuing this way. He's telling you about this story. It hasn't stopped. It is continuing. It is ongoing. He's telling you that this is the fulfillment. That's what we've been waiting for. These, all these Old Testament stories, all these names we're going to think about and remember, all this is ongoing and God has a plan for it. But many of, of Matthew's, I mean of uh, Genesis's, ge, say that, Genesis's genealogies, didn't say the book of the genealogy. There's only a couple places where that said. And one of them is Matthew 5.1. It says the book of the generations or genealogy of Adam. So when Matthew uses this specific language, he connects us back to David. He connected us back to Abraham. And he's connecting us all the way back to Adam. Everybody on earth can trace their, their ancestry back to Adam, right? Everybody who is a Christian can trace their ancestry back to Jesus. Jesus is the second Adam. He has come to make a new humanity. So it is a continuation of the story, but it's also a new birth, a new beginning. The word, Genesis, the word generation, uh, genealogy is literally the word Genesis, which means new beginning. That's why Genesis is called Genesis. It's a new beginning. It's a start. And Jesus has come, yes, to continue a story, but also to tell you a new story. That you can be forgiven not because you have kept the law. You can, be, you, can be, you can be Christ's child not because you kept the law, but you can be forgiven of all the ways you have broken the law. You can be brought into the family not by just uh, moral outward conformity, but by faith. You can be a child of God by believing in Jesus. That is a new story, and it is good news for you. Christ came to make a new beginning, a new way to be a part of the family of God. It wasn't about some outward sign. It wasn't about a, a moral conformity to, to certain restrict, Sabbath restrictions and laws. It was by believing that Jesus is the Savior of the world. He has a new story, a new beginning, a new genesis. And one of the places where that phrase, book of genealogy, is used in the Greek version of Genesis is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, where it says, The book of the genealogy of the heavens and the earth. You see, when Christ came, He made a new way for a new humanity, but He also came and made a, a new way for the entire cosmos. Amen. A whole new heaven and earth started on this page <laughs> in Matthew chapter 1. He says, there is a new beginning, and His name is Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the King, and He reigns forever, and He reigns always. 
and he has made a way for all kinds of different people to be a part of this new heaven and new earth. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And this Christmas, you are invited to be a part of that family. I tell you, we've got some great families around here. But the greatest family of all is the family of God. If you don't know Him, if, he is not, if you are not a part of His family yet, I'll tell you that the, the way in is, is not, it's not easy, but it's simple. It's believing. It's believing in Christ. Maybe you're already a part of that family, but some of your family aren't a part of that family. Or some of your friends or some of your coworkers. At Christmas, you know what's going on? People just, there's, there's just, Jesus things just kind of soaking into the culture a little bit. People are thinking about this story, about this Mary and Joseph and a, an inn and a stable. But they, don't, they aren't a part of the family yet. People in your family aren't a part of this family yet. How could you encourage others to say, hey, this family I know and I'm a part of is the greatest family in the world. Jesus is their king too. He can be because he's the king of all kinds of people. He invites you to be a part of that family, to enjoy him, to delight in him. Greater than any Christmas Day celebration or any family meal with all the ham and the turkey and whatever else you do for Christmas. It's so much joy and it's so much celebration and it points forward to the way that we will celebrate and be with Christ forever because we're a part of the family. And I encourage you to share that family with somebody else this Christmas. Jesus can be your king. I pray he is. He can be the king of so many people because he's a king for all kinds of people. All nations, all types of people. Jesus is the King. All times and all people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the invitation to be a part of your family. What a blessing it is to know you and be known by you. Father, we look to your story summarized for us so well by Matthew, who just said, it's the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Father, as we think back to all that means, we rejoice that we are invited to be a part of that family. Praise God. Praise God. Praise you, Lord, that you have invited us in. Father, we pray that with all the other things we have to do in the month of December and all the people going around us and all the fast-moving parts of, the, of this month, I pray that we would stop long enough to just worship you, to celebrate you, to enjoy you, and God, I pray that we would find ways to invite others to be a part of this family. Lord, thank you for the chance now to respond in song. May we sing today with great joy because of what you've done at Christmas. In Christ's name I pray.